Evidently, I'm in the minority. Although statistics say that 78% of Americans have a savings account, 51% have $5,000 or less in savings, and 35% have $1,000 or less. Perhaps most startling of all is that 36% of Americans don't have enough money on hand to cover a $400 emergency. Therefore, it appears that most people in America are spenders, not savers. What would Jesus have to say about that? We'll find out soon enough, but first, I feel the need to get personal with you about me and money. I'm in the minority because I'm a big-time saver and little-time spender. For whatever reason, I've always been that way. Maybe I got it from my mom who always pinched pennies. I certainly didn't get it from my father, who never saved a cent. Differences like that can devastate a marriage, like that of my parents. I confess that I've prided myself in my capacity to save. However, while I use terms like thrifty and frugal to describe my management of money, others would call me cheapskate and tightwad. That's not very nice, is it? Maybe not, but the truth hurts, and if the shoe fits, wear it. For example, before I was married, my meager grocery bill looked the same every week. That's because I purchased the same items on my weekly trip to the grocery store prepared the same uncooked breakfast, lunch, and dinner for each day of the week. My thoughts then? Thrifty. Your thoughts now? Weirdo. Thankfully, God has worked through dawn to keep me from becoming a chronic tightwad. I would like to add that while Dawn and I were courting in the mail from 6,000 miles apart, God was already at work in my heart in this regard. The day after arriving on Guam in 1977, a fellow Coast Guard officer gave me a Bible, which I began reading immediately, starting in the Gospels. Six weeks later, while on assignment to Saipan with the same officer, I gave my life to Christ, professing him as my Savior and Lord. The next day, while walking with my friend, I was compelled to say, Joe, I'm thinking that I should give money to God's work, because real faith requires real action. What do you suggest? Joe pointed me to God's word for answers, so let's go there now. The so-called parable of the talents appears in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Although the main point of both versions is the same, there are distinct differences between the two. The parable in Matthew opens with a man entrusting three servants with various amounts of money before departing on a journey. In Luke, the departing person is a nobleman who goes to a far country to receive a kingdom before returning. Instead of just three servants receiving different amounts, in this account, there are 10 servants who all receive the same amount. However, as the parable in Luke unfolds, we see the nobleman addressing only three of the servants 
and responding to each one in the same way as the account in Matthew. An added feature in Luke describes how the people feel about this nobleman. In Luke chapter 19, verse 14, we read, His citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. Clearly, Jesus is speaking of himself, for he is the nobleman, the king of kings, who came from heaven to earth disguised as a carpenter from Nazareth. After his earthly ministry, Jesus did return to heaven, and from there will return to earth again. Just as there were citizens who hated the nobleman and did not want him to reign over them, so also many citizens of Israel hated Jesus, even to the point of having him crucified. Returning now to the point of the parable found in both Gospels, money is at the heart of it, just as money is at the heart of almost every aspect of life. To personalize this story, imagine Jesus coming to us just as we put our full trust in him, being mindful of what it means to completely entrust oneself to someone. It's like a marriage where each one says to the other, all that I am and all that I have is yours. By the way, that's simply a longer version of the words, I do. In effect, it's a mutual investment where Jesus and his bride, the church, give themselves to one another fully and freely. For both, it's an all-in or not-in at all decision that reaps consequences either for better or for worse. In Matthew's account of the parable, before leaving on a journey, a man invests differing amounts of money in three servants, each according to his ability. The Lord does the same with us, because our levels of ability are not the same, and it is always unwise to give anyone more than he or she can handle. Matthew uses the term talent, while Luke uses the term mina. Both refer to a 13-ounce silver ingot that represented 100 days of earned income. The expectation of the nobleman in this parable is that his servants will use what they are given to make a profit that will benefit the boss when he returns. His intention, as communicated in Luke chapter 19, verse 13, is translated in a number of ways to include Engage in business till I come, from the English Standard Version. Or put this money to work until I come back, the New International Version. Or invest this for me while I am gone, the New Living Translation. For me, the New Living Translation is best for reasons I'll give shortly. But first, let's realize that Jesus is not presenting a savings plan in this parable, but a spending plan. In fact, every time that Jesus talks about money, it's always about spending, not saving. Think about it. Throughout his ministry, 
Jesus expends himself entirely on others, receiving only basic support for daily needs from others. Then, when he sends his apostles on mission, Jesus tells them, Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Given my predisposition to save and not spend, this really gets my attention. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about investing. Returning to Luke chapter 19, verse 13, we find an interesting word that is found nowhere else in the New Testament. The Greek word is pragma, from which comes the English word pragmatic. It was an ancient mercantile term for trading in order to make a profit. This is equivalent to you or me investing our money into someone or something with the expectation of getting a return on our investment. Now, think about that with this parable in view. Jesus is the nobleman, and we are his servants. The Lord invests what he has to give in each of us, but in amounts we are individually capable of handling. In effect, all that we have and all that we are comes from God. So the talents, or minas in the parable, are both tangible, like money and intangible, like abilities. Just as the nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself, so also Jesus ascended to heaven, where he reigns as king of kings. And just as the nobleman returned to settle the accounts of those in whom he had invested, so also Jesus will return to settle the accounts entrusted to us. In the parable, the first servant received five talents to invest, and the second was given two, each according to his ability. Both of them doubled what they received, which was a net gain of 100%. Wow! So it's for good reason that the investor is pleased. He commends each one by saying, Well done, good and faithful servant and rewards both by doubling their earnings, as noted in Luke, and personally receiving them with joy, as noted in Matthew. It's a very different story with the third servant, who did nothing with the talent entrusted to him. The furious investor declares, You wicked and slothful servant. He then gives the uninvested talent to the one who had profited most before casting a worthless servant into the outer darkness. Does all of this seem fair and just to you? A good financial advisor would say, absolutely. If an account isn't producing, my advisor transfers those funds to a productive account. I expect him to do so, and we should expect our master to do the same. Are you ready for the Lord to settle your account today? Am I? Three questions for your consideration. First, in what particular way does the parable of the talents affect you most? 
Second, why does Jesus judge the man who squandered his talent so severely? And third, how will you invest money now such that the return glorifies God more?